0: Whitney Houston was in many ways the voice for a generation, at least in the 80s and the 90s, and one of her very first number one hit songs was The Greatest Love of All, and she sang in her powerful voice, no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Why? Because, Whitney sang, I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy, easy to achieve, learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. Now, listen to me. This song was number one. The world eats this stuff up. The greatest love of all. Inside of me. Dignity. Inside of me. Intrinsic to me. But here's the problem. They have no basis. And no source for this dignity. You know, if we are, as many scientists say that we are, the result of a purposeless, random, big bang, I would think that's not very dignified explosions seem to be very undignified to me especially in their wake or their aftermath disintegration and not dignity well that's our beginning and what awaits us nothingness rot decay dust so we go from randomness to nothingness and if our beginning has no dignity And if our ending has no dignity, why should there be any dignity in this in-between state? They can't answer the question. I ask, why do I have dignity? They answer, because you are human. But why does that give me dignity? Because you are human. Okay, let's try this one. Why should I care about another human being, I ask, because they are human. Yes, but why should I care for them? Because we said you should care for them. But what's their value? They're human. But why does that make them valuable? Because they're human. It's like the old Abbott and Costello. Comedy, baseball routine. Abbott said, who's on first? Costello asked, you know the fellow's name? Yes. Well, who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name on first. Who? "The guy on first. Who? And on and on it goes. Same thing. Only what confronts us this morning isn't funny. It has not only eternal consequences. For those who spend their lives looking for dignity in a place where it cannot be found, but also the consequences for the way you and I live our lives every day. We must live out, live out the dignity, the worth we have in Christ. And that's what I want us to talk about as we return this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to take those out and turn to that place now. I believe, if I remember correctly, that's page 1015, if you're using a pew Bible. But when you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless now your word to us, we pray. Give us understanding as only your spirit can give us of your eternal and weighty truths. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you were here last week, I said that the overarching theme of this section that carries on through chapter 3, verse 7, is really in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then in the following verses, verses God put before us His order. His order for society, His order for marriages, His order for relationships, and each of these contain the word submit. Now because that word is such a charged word, and because it is so often misunderstood and misapplied, we spent the entirety of our sermon last week seeing that God is a God of order and that you and I must live by God's order. This morning, we're going to look at how we are to live in that order without being bound up by it or offended or put off by it. And so the key for that this morning is in verse 16, if you look there. Live as people Who are free. Live as people who are free. Now, wait a minute, Peter. Back in verse 13, you say to live a life of submission, be subject to every human institution. And now you tell us in verse 16, live as people who are free. And then at the end of verse 16, you tell us to be servants. And so your order is this submit, be free, be servants. How can freedom exist? How can freedom flourish when it's surrounded by submitting and serving? See, we've come to believe that these two states, freedom and submitting, are mutually exclusive. You can't be free and submit. They are opposites. Well, in God's order, we can and we must. And so I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning considering how you and I can be free even while submitting to God's order to submit. And in order to do that, we're going to do what we did last week. We are going to go back to the book of Genesis. This morning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And in order to get the full impact of these verses, I like to read them as if they are an end in and of themselves. As if there is no Genesis 3, no serpent, no sin, no fall, no brokenness, no disorder. That's the very thing we did last week when we hovered for a few moments over the text where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters at the time of creation the formlessness of them, the emptiness of them, so that we could be awed by what came next, or instead, what would not have come next, if God had not been a God of order. And so, He is, and we have hope. This morning, we're going to hover over these verses, 26 and 27 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. What did it mean to be created in the image of God, the likeness of God on earth? And for that to come with God's blessing, we could spend multiple sermons, multiple sermons, talking about the image of God. But we can say this this morning, that in some way, the way God created human beings corresponds to his very own image. Man is made in the image of God. Some say man actually is the image of God. Not in the sense that we are God, but that we are God's image. Now, if you'd be so kind as to follow along with the logic here, you'll see what I mean and why it's so important in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, we read explicitly, That man is the image and glory of God. Man is the image and glory of God. The Apostle Paul doesn't write that man is made in the image of God. He says man is the image of God. And then we read this about Jesus in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4. Christ is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So, man is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. Christ is also called in several places in the New Testament. The second... Adam. And so the reasoning goes that we would expect a correspondence between Christ the man as the image of God and man as the image of God. Are you following this? <laughs> listen, I studied this stuff for hours and I get to read it. You're just having to listen to it. Are you good? Here come some quotes. This is from Bullinger. And he was one of the greatest Swiss reformers, advisors to kings and queens. He wrote the Helvetic Confession. He was a collaborator of John Calvin. And he wrote this. There was in our father Adam, before the fall, the very image and likeness of God. Which image, as the apostle expounds it, was a conformity and participation of God's wisdom, justice, Holiness, truth, integrity, innocency, immortality, and eternal joy. And so we could say that these things are spiritual qualities and abilities that Adam and Eve had to be like God in these ways. Can you even imagine? You heard the list. Now, this quote comes from Dr. Robert Gonzalez. He's an academic dean at Reformed Baptist Seminary. He goes a little further. He writes that the physical capacities and actions of man's body are analogous to God's capacities and actions. Thus, the Scripture speaks of God as having Eyes, ears, a mouth, a face, hands, arms, a mind, and a heart. Because God has the capacity to see, to hear, to speak, to sing, to feel, to think, and to act. These so-called anthropomorphisms of Scripture do not, as some suggest, reflect the necessary limitations of language and human thought. In other words, oh, we have to say those things about God because we don't have any other language. No. Instead, they reflect the divinely intended purpose of man's body. God purposely created man's body to reflect his likeness. We should view man and the totality of his being, body and soul, as a visible replica of God. Wow. This means it's not only our spiritual, not only our spiritual being that's made in the image of God, it's all of our being. Even in our physicality, we reflect the image of God on earth. And so we need to see that we are an integrated whole, spiritual and physical. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, science. And some teachers of philosophy tell us that our random coming together is our beginning and our ultimate disintegration is at the end. No, that's not God's way. And there's no dignity in that. The dignity is that God created us out of the dust. That's a humble beginning, is it not? But then he breathed his life into us and gave us an exalted, dignified purpose. We are to represent and we are to resemble God in the earth. We are to represent and we are to resemble God on earth. And then he's going to take us To glory. Is that good news? So look here. Beautiful, intentional, purposeful beginning and a glorious end. I put all this out there not to say all that can or should be said about the image of God. But to somehow communicate the the weightiness, the weightiness of the reality that we are made in God's image and all The dignity that comes with that. Can you feel it? This is a reality not to be skipped over quickly or thoughtlessly. We have to understand as best as we are able to understand the magnitude of a truth like this and to understand the glory in which we were created, the dignity. That God gives to us. And to everyone we will ever encounter by creating us in his image. So no, Whitney, dignity is not intrinsic to us. Dignity is extrinsic. God gives it to us. The reality is that there is a Genesis 3 There is sin. There is the fall. And that image of God in us is marred, but it's not destroyed. And so now, we can be awed by what comes next. As we were awed by what became of the formlessness and the emptiness at the time of creation. And what comes next? Or perhaps I should ask, who? comes next. It's Christ. And it's only in understanding the dignity we have of being made in the image of God that we truly see the real goodness and the glory and the grace of Christ. It's because of the dignity that human beings have as made in the image of God. That's the reason that God went to the extent that he went to become a man, to come to this earth To die for us because he intends to recreate us in that image. Is that good news? Only better. I cannot assume that you read the quote in the beginning of your bulletin this morning, and so I'm going to read it for us now, at least part of it. It's from Martin Luther, and he writes, The chief purpose of the gospel is to restore us to that lost image. Yes, to a better one. Christ came to restore that which was lost to make it even more glorious than that which Adam and Eve experienced. Now, can you believe that? Because we get so mad at Adam and Eve for messing everything up, and yet... We will experience more than they experienced. It's not by accident that in this very passage, Peter describes the indignity that Jesus, the Son of God, the perfectly holy one, who for eternity past had dwelled in an approachable light, in perfect communion, with the Father and the Spirit, the indignity He suffered for us to restore that dignity in which we were created. Please look at 1 Peter 2, chapter uh, verse 22. Christ committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the greatest in dignity of all, Jesus became undignified so that you and I might have this dignity. And then Peter continues, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Returned. What a beautiful, hopeful word. Returned. To what was lost. To better than was lost. What will be is going to be greater than what Adam and Eve had. Not the same as better than. How better? Because it includes Christ. Our Savior. Our friend. Our Redeemer. The lover of our souls. Christ the one who says to us, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's why Peter can write what he writes here in verse 16. Live as people who are free. Now what does all this have to do with freedom and submission? You and I tend to want the details of submission. Who do I have to submit to and who do I not have to submit to when what we really need is the dignity of submission. Well, what if your leader is like this? Well, what if your husband is like this? Well, what if your wife is like this? I can only answer that by saying that all people, all people are created in the image of God. We do not know if that person is even now being recreated in Christ or if they ever will be. That's not Up to us to decide but in God's order that recreation may in some way be connected to our willingness to follow the order that God lays out for us here without caveat without trying to get around it and herein is true freedom because you and I take our dignity from God we can submit to submission. When we are thoroughly biblical in our thinking, we won't need to mistreat or belittle others, those called to submit to us in order to build ourselves up. Why? Because we have our dignity in Christ. We will never need to use other people for that purpose. And because they see them as exactly equal to us, as other human beings made in the image of God, we will treat them with respect. How could submission ever be abused when we remember that we're all created in the image of God? We can submit even to undignified or humiliating treatment which we're going to face Because our dignity does not come from the words or the treatment of another person. If Christ has set us free, no one can enchain us, not with their words, not with their actions. Neither can they take away from us with their words or their actions that which God gives to us. It comes from God. Our dignity does. And neither Must you take that dignity away from yourself? That's a topic in and of itself. You and I have this dignity from Christ. If you have it in Christ, if I have it in Christ, how could or why would we allow anyone to take it from us? You and I have value, worth, dignity. Because we are created in the image of God. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Can you believe it? You must use the truth and the image of God like a spiritual power field. The words and the actions of others, even those to whom you are called to submit, cannot penetrate to destroy that which God has given you. And you must treat others with the same dignity. So, how can we submit and serve at the same time, live as free people? By embracing the dignity of being made in the image of God and recreated in the image of Christ. I close with this quote from R.C. Sproul. It is no accident that the two greatest commandments are love God and love neighbor. You can't have the latter without the former. And those who truly have the former will also have the latter. For if we love the God of infinite dignity, if we love the God of infinite dignity, we will also love people because they reflect, however imperfectly, His dignity. And in that, we find freedom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a concept too great for us to fully comprehend. We can't. Our lives and our world is too scarred and marred and disordered by sin. We can scarcely believe that the image of God would be an anyone, ourselves included. And so, Lord, we must fall on the truth of your word to know the dignity that we have because we are made in your image and how, Lord, we love Christ. Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus, for the indignity that you suffered so that we might know this dignity restored and one day fully experienced With you in heaven, we know what we are, but what we will be, we have not yet seen, but it will be glorious. We thank you for it. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us understand more fully this truth and live out of it and treat others in the reality of it. And in this, Lord, we will be free, free in this world. Do this for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.